You'll be glad to know that uh, I figured out the answer to uh, every question you ever had about life this week. Yes, I did. I figured out the answer, and because I am a Bible-preaching pastor who loves you, I am, of course, going to share the answer with you. Um, The answer is this. You and me just need to be more like my dog. Without any further ado, we will jump right into 1 John 3. And don't worry, I'll pay that off in just a moment. Beginning with 1 John 2, 28, which is where I think the content that got collected into 1 John 3 actually begins. And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called the children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies themselves as he is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are children of God and who are children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. Why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers and sisters, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers and the sisters. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother or who hates his sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in them. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers and for the sisters. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother or his sister in need, yet closes his heart against them, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is receive it greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, We have confidence before God, and whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God, and God in him, or God in her. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. Man, what a chapter. Jenny was not kidding off the top when she said that um, 1 John 3 is rich. You could um, preach several weeks on just this chapter. I just want to point out a few of the words that 
recur most keenly throughout this chapter, abide, abides, 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 abide, abides, abides. Did you get that? Maybe one more time for those of you who are a little slow on the uptake like me. Abide, abides, 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 abide, abides, abides. Okay, we got it. If you want to connect to the source, align with God. Put another way, if you want to connect to the source, abide with Him. Uh, If you want to connect to the source, you need to learn to love Jesus like my golden retriever loves me. Meet Tank. Tank is our seven-year-old golden retriever. Here he is when he was little. Here he is pretending like he's a fish. Here he is uh, resting after a very long and hard day of resting. Here he is living his best life, sitting with his master on the back deck, holding his master's hand. My dog loves me. How do I know? He is always at my side. In fact, my family's laughing about this as they're hearing me preach because they know that it drives me a little bit crazy that my dog never leaves me alone. Literally, wherever I go, he follows. If I sit down, he sits next to me. If I lie down on the carpet, he lies down next to me. If I go into the kitchen, he comes right into the kitchen and lies down at my feet, hoping that I will send him manna from heaven. My dog loves me. We are aligned because my dog abides with me. So uh, today, I'm going to give you six reasons to abide with God, also known as uh, six reasons for you and for me to act a bit more like Tank. Reason number one, to abide with God, because the end is near. The end is near. We see this clearly in 1 John 2, Verse 28, which, as I said, is the beginning of the content that makes up 1 John 3. And now, little children, abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. Do you ever find yourself on tender hooks because you feel like um, things are always coming to an end? I mean, in a not-so-serious way, you feel that way about the pizza. If you're anything like me and you have a bunch of terrorists living in your house, also known as teenagers, uh, the moment you buy pizza, it disappears. Or better yet, trifle. Here's the trifle they made at 6 o'clock on Thursday night. Here's how the trifle looked at 6.10 on Thursday night. Just gone. Nikki and I took like these little tiny bowls, went outside. You could have fed 15 people with this trifle. We came back in and pow! They had decimated it. So if you ever feel like this trifle is passing away, it is. Now, more seriously, did you ever find yourself on tender hicks worrying about your own life? Am I going to die soon? Is this job going to come to an end? Is this season of plenty or joy or prosperity that we have found ourselves about to come to a close? If you ever feel like things are coming to an end, I want to just say that you are correct. You are correct. Everything is coming to an end. Okay, From pizza to trifle to your life and mine to our hopes, dreams, and aspirations, there is a season for everything. And one of those seasons includes death and ending. 
Okay? The end is near. Verse 28, abide in him so that when he appears. I want to point out that there is no doubt that he will one day appear. He will bring a close to this chapter in the human story. We refer to this in biblical language as the eschaton, the end of days. We refer to the second coming of Jesus as the parousia. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. He will draw the curtain on the final act of history. The end is coming. So, you'd better be God's friend. That's the big idea. The end is coming, so you better be God's friend. Even you know that all good things come to an end. And I believe that all of us know intuitively that the end is near. That the day is coming when the judge will return to make all things right. To set all wrongs right. And to judge the living and the dead. That one day he will bring an end to evil and injustice. And one day he will restore everything that has been lost. We know that the end is coming, so I would suggest that you be God's friend in preparation. Abide with God. Abide comes from the Greek word menete. Menete, to abide. And it means this, to continue to be present. I love the New Testament. Most often the great words are present continuous. To abide means to continue to be present. So if you want to survive, not just your lingering sense of doom, that lingering sense of doom that you feel because you always think the end is near, but if you want to survive the end itself, continue to be present with Jesus. Abide with Him. Because, point number two, um, that's how you kill sin. If you want to kill sin in your life, abide with Jesus. We get this out of 1 John 3, verse 6. No one who abides in Him keeps on sinning. Is sin a problem in your life? Um, Short answer, yeah. Yeah, it is. Sin is a problem in everyone's life, including mine. What is sin defined biblically? The Greek word is hamartion. It means missing. You should say missing the mark. Okay, to sin is to miss the mark. The point is clear. All of us have a sin problem. Romans 3.23 famously enforces this great truth. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I met a sinner today in line at Market Fresh. We go to Market Fresh in Guelph. If you're not from our city, Market Fresh, is, Market Fresh is our small version of Whole Foods. It's great. It's right in the heart of downtown. They have awesome baked goods. I often go there on Saturday mornings, but we went there this morning because it's my son's birthday today. Happy birthday, Sammy. I love you. I went there to get cinnamon buns for him. And Market Fresh is so popular that you have to line up before it opens. Otherwise, you're 30th in line. So I was there 15 minutes ahead of opening, and I was second in line. And as I was standing there enjoying the beautiful day, all of a sudden I started smelling these wafts of cigarette smoke. I was like, what? Now, I'm in my mid-40s, so I'm like, am I having a stroke? So, you know, it's always the first thought. I smell smoke. No one's smoking. And I turn around, and lo and behold, behind me, there is a sinner smoking. Why do I say a sinner smoking? I don't believe it's a sin to smoke. But why would I say a sinner? Because he's smoking in line with us. We're six feet apart, and we are forced to smell his Cigarette smoke, and if you smoke, you know that secondhand smoke can hurt somebody. Well, it hurts you, and it hurts the people who aren't smoking who are standing near to you. And this, he would not quit. He was chain smoking. And if you know me at all, you know that um, I was quickly um, getting mad. And I had to use an inordinate amount of self-control to not go at him. Why? Because I also have a sin problem. Two sinners in line. I wanted to go at this guy for being so rude and inconsiderate. But the disdain I felt for him, one made in God's image and likeness. It's a sinful attitude on my 
part. How was I able to control myself? How was I able to invite self-control into the equation? Because I am learning. Now, mind you, just learning, probably like you. Just learning to abide with Jesus, which is helping me to not keep on keeping on sinning as my habitual, repeated way of life. That's what John means here when he says, no one who abides in him keeps on sinning. Keeps on keeping on missing the mark as your repeated, habitual way of life. By God's grace, God's grace is slowly changing me. And if you belong to Jesus, it is slowly changing you from glory to glory. This is what happens when you stick close to Jesus. When you abide with Jesus, you get good by osmosis. You're welcome. You'll remember that one. Stick close to Jesus. Celebrate! And you get good by osmosis. And so as that goodness begins to take root in you, when you sin or miss the mark, quickly ask forgiveness. Quickly make it right. So often, so many Christians neglect that important part. They ask for forgiveness, but they do not take the next step of making it right. Make it right. Quickly ask forgiveness. Quickly make it right. Quickly begin walking in repentance, which means to turn and walk the other way in newness of life. Why? Because Jesus is your friend. Jesus is your friend. And uh, you've been spending time with him, and you're beginning to do like Jesus does. And what did Jesus do? As Jenny said at the top of today's service, he laid down his life for you and me. Jesus Christ, God the Son, made flesh, went to a Roman cross where he suffered and died, hanging in your place for your sin. And he died the death that you should have died as penalty for your sin. The chastisement for your peace was laid upon him. And he bore the pain that you should have bore. He died in your place. And because he was God, the Son made flesh, he didn't stay dead, but he arose again the third day, defeating in his body the power of Satan, sin, death, and hell forever. And then he spent some time with his friends for 40 days or so. And right in front of their eyes, ascended back to his father's right hand where he sat down in victory. A place where he sits even now, cheering for you, interceding for you. The chair that he sits on, and then he gets up to build your house. And he sits back down to cheer for you, and he gets up to build your house, and then one day he will get up for good and return to judge the living and the dead and to inaugurate his kingdom, which will have no end. A kingdom in which you have a place. That's what Jesus did for you. He has dealt, hallelujah, he has dealt with your sin problem and mine once and for all. And last time I checked, that's about as good a definition of a friend as I could find anywhere. Because of what Jesus has done for you, you can now abide in him. Which is definitely something you want to do because point number three, um, it's how new habits will outgrow old ones. New habits will outgrow old ones as you abide with Jesus. If you have your Bibles, look with me at 1 John 3, verse 9. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him or her, and he or she cannot keep on sinning because they have been born of God. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. What does practice involve? You've practiced. I've practiced. 
If you played high-performance sports, you knew that practice was sometimes to be dreaded. Why? Because it was so hard. Practice involves difficult, repetitive work. That's what practice is. Difficult, repetitive work. Here's the take-home point. Stop practicing being evil. Have you thought about that for a minute? It takes work to be evil. It takes work to do the wrong thing. It doesn't just happen to you. You have to choose. You have agency. You can decide to do the wrong thing, or you can decide to do the right thing. You can decide to keep doing the wrong thing and keep getting better at doing the wrong thing, or you can stop it, and you can decide to start walking in newness of life. Stop practicing evil. Next time you find yourself walking to the practice field, stop it. Turn around, which is what repentance means, and go home to Jesus. Stop practicing being evil. Why? Because in Christ, you have been born again. Verse 9 attests to this. Look at the terms here. Born of God. No one born of God continues to sin or continues practicing sin. Why? Because God's seed abides in him. Forgive me if this makes you squeamish, but I'm preaching the Bible here, and the literal word here is sperma. That is the word for seed, and we all know what sperma is in English. So literally here it says, he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. This means that to abide with Jesus means to be impregnated with new life. I mean, somebody shout in somebody's house. Don't don't mistake the gravity, the awesomeness, and the bigness of this. To abide with Jesus means to be impregnated with new life. Let me ask you this because I care about you. Does your walk with Jesus make you look as unmistakable as an eight months pregnant woman? You, you can't miss an eight months pregnant woman. I know week, like month three, you're not sure if you want to say, so what do you do? You know, you never want to ask that question. But by eight months, pretty safe bet. Okay? She's waddling because she's about to give birth. Is the new life that you've been given in Jesus making you appear that unmistakably obvious? Let me tell you something about that woman who's eight months pregnant. She can no longer sprint up a flight of stairs like she used to. She is different now because she has been impregnated. Here's the point. If the new life that Jesus gives isn't stopping you from doing the things that you used to do with ease, you need to ask yourself some pretty tough questions. Is that a word for you today? Are you continuing on with life as usual as if nothing has changed? When in reality, if you belong to Jesus, everything has changed. Ask yourself this question. Am I really stuck to Jesus like glue? You need to be because, point number four, it's the only way to learn to love. We get this out of uh, 1 John 3, verse 14. So let's flip the page. Here's verse 14. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. This is important. We know that the resurrection power of Jesus is working in us because we love our siblings. Have you ever walked into a Christian church and noticed right away, man, these people really seem to love one another. It's a bit of a rare thing, sadly. I'm sure you've walked into churches where you didn't sense that love between the people. 
But maybe there have been times when you've walked into a shared space where the community of God is gathered together and you see people weeping together, laughing together, smiling at one another, hugging on one another, kissing on one another. This is one of the reasons why this pandemic is so difficult for us. We miss one another like a brother misses his sister, like a sister misses her brother. I miss you. I hope that some of you miss me. I miss wrapping my arms around you on a Sunday morning, looking you in the eye and asking you, how are you? I miss seeing the light of the gospel in your eyes as I preach to you in this house. I miss seeing you raise your hands in praise to Jesus as we sing his worship in this house. I miss you. Why? Because I love you. And that kind of love is unmistakable amongst God's people. In fact, even Jesus says that it should be unmistakable. By this shall all people know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. That's John 13, 35. I want to just point out there, that Jesus is saying that if you have love for one another, meaning in the context of his gathered community, do the sisters and brothers of God's house love one another? It's that love that we have for one another that people will notice as the thing that signifies us as followers of Jesus. This means to me that love starts at home, then it travels. It starts at home, then it travels. How do we know that it travels? Well, because of the um, great command that Jesus gives to his disciples in Matthew chapter 28. Here's how love works, okay? We love Jesus well. This begins to transform us and enable us to love one another well, which continues to transform us and enable us to love the world well. Go ye therefore into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have taught you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So, if in John 13, 33, Jesus says that a disciple is someone who loves, and then in Matthew 28, verses 19 through 20, we are commanded to go and make those kinds of people disciples of the whole world, then we are being told to teach the whole world the language of love. This is what we are being told to teach the world. How often have you failed to teach the world the language of love? Receive it, repent of it, and let's walk in newness of life from this day forward. Who do you learn the language of love from? You learn it from the one who is love itself. You learn it from God. Which is why you need to stick to him. Because point number five, it activates generosity. Look as we approach our close here at 1 John 3 verse 17. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother or sister in need yet closes his heart against him. How does God's love abide in him? Note these two words, but if anyone has and if anyone sees what you have and what you see. Let me invite you, in light of the fact that you are learning to abide with Jesus, to check what you have and to check what you see, to check your possessions and to criticize your vision. What do I have? What do I see? Let me remind you that in Christ, God has given us everything. So let me ask this follow-up question. Are you acting routinely like Jesus who gives? Or are you acting like the devil who steals, kills, and destroys? Simple today. Be like Jesus. Keep less. Give more. And Kathy can join me because I'm done.
Put very simply, point number six, participate in the divine life. As we close, here's verse 24. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God, and God in him, or God in her. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. These are beautiful words here. If you keep his commandments, you abide in God, and God abides in you. And you know what I love about the commandments of God? That they are so simple. If you want to be God's friend, all you need to do is learn to love God and learn to love the people around you as you learn to love yourself. That is Matthew 22, 37 through 40. The royal law put to a very kind of simple measure. Learn to love God with everything you've got. Learn to love those around you with everything you've got as you learn to love yourself. If you do that, God abides with you. And what did I tell you that abide means? It means that if you do that, receive it. God continues to be present with you. What is the upside to sticking to Jesus? Jesus sticks to you. I mean, hallelujah in this house. The upside to sticking to Jesus is that Jesus sticks to you. How will I know? You'll know by the Spirit whom He has given us. What does this mean? This means literally that the supernatural life of God, and you can measure the supernatural life of God through His gifts. If you want to learn more about those gifts, you can read about them in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4-11. through 11. The supernatural life of God through His fruit If you want to learn more about the fruit of the Spirit, you can study that in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 23. The life of God in its power, if you want to read about the dynamic power of God, the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead that is at work in your mortal bodies, you can study that in Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 9. The comfort of God, which is an outworking of His power, which is described in John chapter 14, verses 15 through 17, is alive and working in you. The supernatural life of God will actually abide in its gifts, in its fruit, in its power, and in its comfort with you. Proving to you, moment by moment, day by day, that uh, you are His and He is yours, just like me and my dog.